Good morning. I am jacked up. Yeah. I, I do it in a little bit more relaxed way than Presley, but the feelings are there. I just want to assure you of that. Um, welcome. Welcome to all of our generations, our younger generations, our middle-aged generations, our older generations. Welcome to our visitors. Welcome to our members. Welcome to those tuning in online. We are in the end of this series, three-lesson series on generations. Patrick introduced it two weeks ago, and he talked about these monarch butterflies, and he said, you know, they go on this thousands-of-mile trip, and before they get there, they die, and the next ones, and it takes generations for them to fully realize what their actual goal and destination is, and that's how it is sometimes with us. Uh, so to this, today, we are talking about looking to the future. We're talking about future generations. I'm going to speak to younger generations. I'm going to speak from the older generations and to older generations as well, all of us. I'm going to be speaking to all of us today and trying to tell us what is very important. Now, last week, Presley said some things that were true, and he said some things that were not true. Uh, that part about blaming his generation when we were out that day for everything, that was true. I was doing that. Uh, the part about horse and them winning all the time and me never winning, that was not true. I'll tell you that. Now, they win more than I do, but let me tell you a secret. It's to instill confidence in them. It's, that's really all it is. It's, it's just... So, um, this next slide has talking about generations. It's got the names of all the generations. Uh, Alpha, Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, Silent, and, you know, there may be another one there that we have forgotten that we didn't list. But we're going to go with these six. Uh, today, we're going to talk about that. So, wherever you fit in there, I personally am just snuck into the Boomer generation. Uh, I'm closer to 60 years old than, than not. Uh, I, I used to tell my wife, you know, like 15 years ago or so that she was closer to 40 than I was, but that's because she wasn't quite there yet, and I was four years past that. But anyway, uh, I'm closer to 60, so I'm, I'm considering myself a part of this older generation. So I don't, I get too confused with all the names. I don't remember all the names. I don't remember why. It's a good, it's kind of interesting study to try and figure out why they name these things. I just like, I'm more of a simple man. I like to say, hey, we've got older generations, we've got middle age generations, we've got younger generations. That's how we're going to look at it today. I saw this sign. Uh, Presley and I went out to eat Thursday for lunch at Jimmy John's, and they said this sign, let it be known, the baggier the pants, the more resentful the kid. Whatever you do, never force your children to eat food they dislike. They'll show their resentment by wearing really baggy pants. So be good parents, love your children, listen to them, but most important, feed them Jimmy John's as often as possible. That way their pants will always fit nice and tight. I, you know, we have different styles, all right? Our, our older generations from our younger generations, I would rather have the baggy pants than the skinny jeans. I'll just, I'll just say that right now. I'm more of a relaxed fit kind of guy, but that's not so much about my personality as it is my boomer body, all right? So <laughs> we, we're talking about all of us generations, and, and we've all said it, Patrick and Presley have all said it, we're not here to compete to one another, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we compete and say, hey, which one is the best? Which one's doing the best? Which one has been the best generation? Gabe Lyons wrote a book. He titled The Next Christians. Inside the cover, there is this quote. Turn on a cable news show 
or pick up any news magazine and you get the impression that Christian America is on its last legs. The once-dominant faith is now facing rapidly declining church attendance, waning political influence, and an abysmal public perception. More than 76% of Americans self-identify as Christians, but many today are ashamed to carry the label. Have you ever longed for the good old days? All right, so probably speaking to the older generations here. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, oh, I just... Well, I was reading something this week. Do you remember that that's what the Israelites in the wilderness longed for? They longed for the days in Egypt. Now, they weren't the good old days, but that's how they remembered them. So I think for some of us, we're longing for the good old days, and they're not as good as we thought. But in light of our present situation, maybe we remember them being the good old days. I'm also here to say that the Canaanites and the future were not the Israelites' greatest struggle. It was more, they had that attitude that was missing and they were forgetting what God had done. They were forgetting what God could do. Negative thoughts and forgetting what God has done is the greater problem. For us, as an older generation, speaking to the older generation now, if we think America has gone to pot, Christianity, the younger generation is then that negative attitude, we forget what God is doing, we forget what God can do, just like the Israelites did in the desert. Joshua chapter 14. I love this example of Caleb. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So they're coming out of the wilderness. And remember, Caleb is like the oldest of the generation. I mean, it was just him and Joshua, right? Everybody else died in the wilderness of their generation. They were the only ones kept alive because they were the only ones that believed in God and followed him. So Caleb is 85 years old and he's saying, I'm as strong now as I was then. I'm ready to go fight now and take that land that you had promised me, that God has promised me. And I love that attitude for us as older Christians. Now, some of you may be 85 years old. I'm not quite there yet. This next picture, as you remember, Patrick put this up. You know, this, this was Presley in his 50s and Patrick in his 70s. Patrick, I'm not dead yet. Okay, I, I, I am close maybe, but I, you know, like, like Caleb at 85, but I'm not there yet. All right, so the next verse, Joshua 14, 12. Caleb says this, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. See, there's the key for us is the older generation and younger, too. The key is not how old we are, not how we feel. The key is if the Lord is with us, because our confidence is in him, our faith is in him. It's not in our ability. And Caleb showed that. Moses was another example. So in Exodus chapter 7, verse four, uh, 6 through 7, so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. So Moses had been living as a shepherd for 40 years, kind of out of the thing, but God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go do this. Okay, take Aaron with you since you don't want to. And 80 and 83. And I will have to, you know, sometimes we think about those times in the Bibles when the people lived 900 some odd years. That's not this time, all right? Moses lived to be 120. So that's older than most of us are going to live or older than all of us are going to live. But it's close. So 80, I mean, that's 
you know, he's approaching end of life, but he's, he's not there, and yet he can go do something really big for God because God is with him. And I want to speak to the older generation right now and say, look, you're not done. All right, Moses wasn't done. Caleb wasn't done. It has more about our faith in God than it is about how we feel. So uh, the older generations finally realize at some point, much like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, where he said this, Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. So this is when he was younger, Solomon when he was younger. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anymore. I'll tell you what is worthwhile. All right, I, I love the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if you haven't read it, if you haven't studied it, you may go, what, Deuteronomy? All the books in the Bible. I love the book of Deuteronomy for this reason. In the book of Exodus, God tells the people, shares his covenant with them and says, here's the law for that generation. They go in the desert, that generation dies. The book of Deuteronomy is retelling the younger generation what he told the older generation in Exodus. That's what it is. So he's retelling the younger generation, this is the covenant of God. This are the things you have to remember. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, 9 and 10, we'll look at a few passages here real quick. But watch out, be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai where he told me, Summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me also. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 6. Very famous passage, the Shema. Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Verse 7. Next slide, please. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In verse, uh, when he talks about repeat them again and again, some versions say impress them. It is talking about repeating in their culture, but it is to impress these things on their minds so that they don't forget, so that they do remember. And this is what he's telling the older generation. Actually, he's telling the younger generation what he's already told the older generation and saying to impress these on your kill. He says something very similar in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 and 19. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Verse 20 and 21. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors whole message of Deuteronomy is remember. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done for you. Teach that to the younger generations so that they know, so that they remember. What, next slide. What I'd like to uh, remember, do something now that will bless future generations even more than your own. So not talking to the younger ones now. I'm talking to those of us who are older. 
Do something now that's going to bless them even more than it blesses us. At the end of Deuteronomy, after all these things, repeating all these things, in chapter 30, Moses gets everybody together and he says, okay, based on all of this, you're going to make a choice. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. That's how I feel. Because I'm getting older, I think I've learned that this is the key to my life. It is doing something now that's going to bless them. It is the key. It is passing this along is the key. So here we go. The next slide. Spend your time while you have it on something that lasts beyond your years just like Solomon he did all this stuff when he was young and when he got older and he looked back he's like no none of that really is worth anything it's all meaningless but what is worthwhile is something that lasts forever and what lasts forever is what we can pass on the message of Deuteronomy all right the older we get the more clearly we can see what is most important I believe that um one of my favorite movies, Secondhand Lions. I don't know if you have seen it. Uh, it was, I think, 2003, so it's been around for quite a while. Uh, I watched it this week because I thought of it, and I watched it again with my mom. She said she likes it too. So uh, it's a story uh, of a boy who gets dropped off at an old house in Texas with his two great uncles. He finds out that they don't have a telephone or a television. And he's like, what are we going to do? You know, and I feel like sometimes that's the new generation. It's like if they don't have something, in, you know, uh, then what are we going to do? Well, um, the uncles aren't happy about it either. So on this first day, here's, here's just a couple of lines from the movie. They say, we don't know anything about kids. So if you need something, find it yourself. <laughs> and then the next one says, and better yet, learn to do without. And then they say, as he's going to bed, they say, you're sleeping up there in the tower. And then they say, uh, we're old, so if we kick off in the middle of the night, you're on your own. Uh, that's how it starts out. But the message of the movie, well, I, I, I thought this was appropriate. There's another line later in the movie uh, where one uncle is telling the younger, the boy, about the other uncle. And he says... A man's body may grow old, but inside his spirit can still be as young as ever. Uh, and I see that in Caleb and Moses, and, uh, and, and hopefully we see this in, in us as well, the older generation. But the movie talks about this relationship between these two distinct generations, a couple of generations apart, and very different, and how close they grow together, how important it is to talk about passing down the values from one generation to another to another and learning that. And, and that's, that's the movie. So um, the older I get, the more I consider or value the younger generations. When I was young, I didn't think that much about them. I respected them, uh, but I didn't think that much about them. But the older I get, the more and more I think and value the younger generations because I know, hey, I, I don't... Like Patrick's picture, I don't have that much longer 
you know, that I'm going to be around, right? Think about something that lasts forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through 25. Peter quotes Isaiah 40, and he says, As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And one more thing I'd like to say to our younger crowd, our younger generation, uh, is from an older person's perspective, uh, this is something else you need to understand. John chapter 8, 7 through 9, it's illustrated here. This is Jesus uh, with the uh, you know, woman caught in adultery. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You see, the older generation is not better or wiser because we make less mistakes. The older generation is wiser because we've already made them. Um, Maybe sometimes you don't see that. Maybe sometimes we don't clearly state that. But I, I want the younger generation to know that's, that's the truth. Um, and we, come, we should come from this idea of humility. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. All right, now transitioning a little bit, speaking more directly to the younger generation. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Solomon says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. So what, what he does in Ecclesiastes 12 is the next seven or eight verses he talks about, you know, his eyes not being able to see as well or not being able to hear his bones. You know, he talks about all these things that happen to you when you get old. And it's true. I mean, I can hurt myself by sleeping. I don't know how, but waking up the next morning, I, how did I do that? I, but, but the point is, while you're young, don't forget your creator and honor him. And then first Timothy, Paul says the same thing to Timothy, chapter uh, four, verses 11 and 12. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy is a younger man. He's probably in his 30s, and I know that may not seem young to some of you, but it is compared to Paul, and it, and it was for the role Timothy was in because Timothy was placed in this role of leadership. And so Paul was saying, hey, don't let look, anyone look down on you for your youth because you're in a position of authority. You need to be an example. And just because you're young doesn't mean you can't lead and you can't be that example. Paul was passing the torch, passing the baton, as Patrick told us a couple of weeks ago. Now, if Presley gets up here and he starts talking about football, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Frontal lobe hasn't fully formed yet, all right? <laughs> but if Presley gets up here and he is relating us something from Scripture... He's revealing to us what scripture teaches, then we all better listen. Um, when I was younger, there was a, a preacher named Bob Johnson. Uh, 
I was at two different congregations. My family was at two different congregations he, he was at. The first time, I know I was like eight, nine, ten years old, probably longer than those three years, but I know I was that old when I was there. Uh, the second time, second congregation, he had moved away, and then later we moved away. Turns out he was preaching there at that congregation, and I was in eighth, ninth, and tenth grade at the time. Uh, he had an influence on me. He had an impact on me. He, he encouraged slash forced me to lead at church and to memorize scripture um, he laughed a lot. Uh, I remember one time he got his truck stuck. He used to go out in the woods and study for his lessons, and he got his truck stuck in the mud. He called my dad because we had a four-wheel drive truck, and I went with my dad, and I'm, you know, I'm like 12 years old at the time, 13, something like that. I go with him. We get our truck stuck in the mud trying to pull him out. We have to walk miles back to his house, and, and we're just all just laughing. Uh, Bob Johnson moved from Texas to Wyoming, preaching at a small church there. Uh, and then I, I had graduated from college, and I was going to Boise, Idaho, to work at Boise State University with a Bible chair, some college students, church in Boise State University. And Wyoming, where he was, was not really on my way to Boise, Idaho, but I made sure I went a little bit out of my way, stopped at his house, visited with him, and told him I was really thankful for the influence he had on me. I think we all can, uh, those of us who are older, we can remember, and those of us who are younger too, we can remember times when uh, somebody has had an influence, taken an interest in us when we were younger. I, rem I remember a camp counselor uh, at the Christian youth camp I went to. I was, I was probably like, you know, 10 or 11 at the time. And, you know, he showed me attention at camp. And then he said, hey, I'm doing this concert. He was a part of this band. And he said, I'm doing this concert at this person's house near where you live, like, next week or two weeks. I can't remember. And he was like, would you come? And, and I was like, well, okay, sure, I'll try. You know, and my, my mom took me, you know, and uh, uh, she took me to this, this, you know, concert. And he was playing, his band was playing Smoke on the Water. You know, some of you will remember that song. But uh, he came and he, he got down and he just picked me up and he gave me this big hug and I, you know, almost 50 years later I still remember it today, so take an interest. The urban ministry I think about, uh, most of the members of the urban ministry are first generation Christians. It was very hard for them to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ because their family wasn't doing that. It's much easier for me. This is a picture of one of the early years of the urban ministry going to camp. You can't see it, but the, there's an old green bus that says woodburychurch.org on it. And I would drive the bus, and all of these kids would come. And if, if, look to the far right. That blonde over there is Melinda Gibson. She was interning with us that summer. Uh, all these kids in the urban ministry, some of them are still part of the urban ministry, only they're married and got kids now. Uh, some of them, some of the ones that are a part of the urban ministry now are the younger siblings of these kids who were too young to even go to camp. Now, next picture. This was just a couple years ago, so about 20 years later from that first picture. Up at camp, a lot of the urban ministry, there's a group from Clifton, Texas that was up there together. We were all up there together on Memorial Day weekend a couple years ago. Uh, and now they've got their kids with them. And... I look at that and I think of that and I can remember when they were teenagers. I can remember being at a conference room in a hotel in St. Paul where we worshiped at the time. 
And I can remember looking at them and saying, God has done an amazing thing in bringing you to Jesus Christ. And I said, but he's not done. He's going to do something even more amazing. And that is your children and your grandchildren are going to know who God is and worship him. And they are single teenagers at the time. This church, so many people in this church have had a hand in that. And now God is doing that, and we need to remember what God can do, what he does, to where now if you come to an urban ministry service, there's like 20 adults here, and there's at least that many kids here. And, you know, when they're all here, and I mean, it, 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 it's not very many families, but there's a lot of kids. Uh, and, and I just, I, I, it's amazing when you think about the, the fact that God is a God of generations. All right. When I think about the present generations, the younger generations, um, and I think back about that quote from that book, Next, Christ, Next Christians, less people are attending church services, but most people are still seeking truth. God has placed that in their hearts. So speaking to the older generation now, those who think, hey, I just wish we lived in the good old days. Most people are seeking truth and God has placed that in their hearts. Don't have negative thoughts. Remember what God is doing and what he can do. I believe the truth they find when they're seeking will be a universal truth. It won't be a denominational truth. And they'll be able to grow deeper in their relationship with God because of it. Gabe Lyons, in that book, Next Christians, he talks about how our world is changing. Uh, he talks about how we have Christians today who think our priority, our priority should be to make God's laws the laws of the land. We have Christians today who think America is so immoral that we need to separate and not be part of the larger culture. They want to only spend their time with other Christians. We also have Christians who let their beliefs be influenced by culture. Lyons says that it was the same in Jesus' day. You had the Pharisees who were like strict observance of the law is what's going to save us. You had the Essenes who said culture is so immoral we need to separate and just stick to ourselves. You had the Sadducees who allowed culture to blend with their beliefs to where their beliefs weren't what God wanted them to be. And Jesus spoke against all of them. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus broke their laws of the Sabbath when they were not helping people. And then Jesus would turn over tables in the temple when they did not see their worship to God as holy as they should. House of God is not a place for entertainment and consumerism. Jesus acted against each one of those things. And they, it happened in Jesus' day, just like it happens in us. Next slide. There is a desire in all of us that if we cultivate it, we can be selfish at times. But if we cultivate it, it grows strong, a desire for those coming after us. You know who said that? Presley said it last week, actually, something like that. Uh, he said, I believe that this older generation really has a heart for us. And, and you're right, Presley, we do. Younger generation, we do. So, 
couple of questions as we kind of close, uh, begin to close. Are you holding on to any habit that does not benefit the coming generations? Any habit, any custom, any tradition that is not going to benefit the younger generation, the coming generations? Or, or another question, what can you incorporate into your life that benefits the coming generations? I hope we give that some thought. Because that is what lasts forever. Whatever it is, it will take time. We have to sacrifice. And it can be a sacrifice as simple as listening to their music. Ow, that hurts to say that. I, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty eclectic in my music taste. Uh, I grew up on rock and roll. I, I, I can remember being on a road trip, my dad playing country music, and go, Dad, stop playing the country music. And he'd go, one day you'll change your mind. And, and I did. I, I like country music as well. I still like rock and roll. Uh, a lot of the new music uh, that my kids like to listen to or, or other younger generations like to listen to, I don't really like it. Just have to, it's okay, right? You don't really like mine. I don't, it's, it's okay. But hey, all right, so go on a road trip and trade off and listen. Oh, right, but don't, no cheating. No putting in the earbuds when they're playing their music, all right? Don't, no sleeping. No. All right, we can share. We can sacrifice for the other. Why? Because we're not in competition. We're doing this together. It's kind of like, um, and we need to learn from each other. I'm going to invite the praise team back up right now. Um, it's kind of like, Buying a house, you're, you're living in someone else's house. They've made that house the way they want it, the way they like it. And now you're having to move in there, and it doesn't really fit you exactly. So you make these little tweaks, you make these little changes. And then, you know, if, if just imagine going back to one of the houses that you used to live in, and they made all these kind of changes, and, you know, maybe you don't like them. It's like, wait, why did they change that? Uh, or... Someone, you know, it's kind of like we're living in someone else's house. But what I would like to say, for the younger generations to own their faith, they must make it their own. It's kind of like you have to make the house your own. And we have to allow that, older generations. We, we have to, the faith actions of the next generation may look different than the faith actions of our generation. That's okay. It's actually good. The next generation wants to show love, bring justice, and give grace. I believe God may be the one behind that, and we should learn from Jesus and each other. God is a God of generations, uh, and you can participate in the future. I, I just thought of something. I, tech booth, can y'all sing the glory song again instead? Uh, thank you. Uh, I, there were some lines... Tech Booth, the one they sang earlier. There was a couple of lines in there. One love brings us together. Let it start in me. And I think that's just really appropriate to the message, to what I hope, what I believe God is saying to all of us. Older, middle-aged, younger generations. One love brings us together. We want peace. Let it start in me. We have to live it. We have to live it outside of these walls. In doing so, we will, re we will restore the fallen, the disillusioned, and those who have not known God, their creator, and the savior of the world.
And we'll do that for now and forever.